matter what rebuke was necessary, the love of the family still remained. For some reason, we have a hard time understanding that familial reality as being even a greater reality in the life of a church. We'll stand up for our family, but do we have that same perspective, that same desire when it comes to the fellow saint in the local church? Just yesterday, I was visiting a um, frequented uh, shop where, near where I live. It's a donut shop, okay? A donut shop. And I walk in. I see the door yesterday. I walk in. And on the door there's a sign that says they're going to be closed. From June the 6th to June the 29th. And I'm like, what in the world? It didn't say anything why, anything about why. So I go in and I begin to talk with the man who owns the store. He and his wife, they make the donuts, good donuts. I recommend it. You want to know where it is, I'll, I'll tell you. But I go in and I start to talk to him about that. And I'm like, well, why are y'all going to be closed? And he says, my mother is extremely sick and she's in Korea, South Korea. So we're going to travel. He said, I haven't seen my mother in 10 years. We're going to travel and we're going to stay there in these days with her. And I said, well, business must be doing well if you can leave for three weeks, three plus weeks. And just shut down. And he said, well, in Korea, family is more important than money. And I was like, Whew. And I immediately began to think about how we as believers, we are so hesitant to make sacrifices for one another. Our tendency is to think that as long as we got our ducks in a row over here, then we can start to think about the community. Then we can start to think about one another. But I would argue, I would argue that your life is only going to be ordered rightly under the lordship of Jesus if you are seeking the good of the whole community, the whole body. If we could simply apply his perspective, the family is more important than all these other little things. Christian, we are the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, committed to one another in one body for mutual upbuilding and edification. So we may forego a kiss, as he mentions here, and that wouldn't be disobedient to Scripture, but I would ask you, what is the holy kiss? What is the holy kiss? How do we maintain the fellowship of the church family in such a way that it testifies to the world? Hey, this is a kingdom that I want to know about. This shows me that there is something better beyond the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom that is populated by the family of God. 
How do we do that? What is the holy kiss? And I'm going to leave that for you to figure out. With the help of the Holy Spirit, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Intimately fellowship as family. Next, he says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. We can say clearly instruct the saints. Clearly instruct the saints. This imperative, I hope you pick up on these words here. When Paul in the middle of a letter says, I put you under oath before the Lord, this is not something to gloss over. I know we do that sometimes. We make light of oaths, promises. When Paul says this, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm putting 10 exclamation points on this right here. I put you under oath. It's an imperative that is unusually emphatic, very strong. So on oath before the Lord, Paul commands them to get this letter into the hearing of all the brothers and sisters. Paul is instructing corporate worship centered around the word and the unity that is maintained by the body, body worshiping together. But not only that, he was guarding against any fractures. When the local church fails to seek the unity of the spirit according to the word of God, when confusion and tribalism abound, we fail to embody an expression of the coming kingdom. How is it that we can say John 17, Jesus prayed it, that we all, universal church, all the believers from all the times, all the places, how can we say that the universal church is united when people in the local church are divisive. That is not a good picture of the kingdom. But what could happen here is if they treat this letter like it only needs to be circulated among a certain people or only needs to be talked about within a certain group, then it would produce the fractures that he is fearful of. There's one sense, you know the game telephone, when you pass along a message around the circle and it gets to the end and, and the message is totally butchered by that time. He's trying to guard against this interpretation and that interpretation becoming a source for disunity. We don't pass those secret interpretations around that are only for super Christians or whatever other group you want. We don't withhold access to God's word from certain groups of people. We can't abuse the word of God to keep an oppressive hold on other people in the church. But through preaching and teaching with the word of God open and available for all to see, to see what God has communicated to us. It is, it is the word of God laid bare before us we together must encounter that truth. And we together will be changed by that truth. So Paul is certainly saying, hey, they need to know about this. I would argue they need to know about this. We need to know about this together. He puts us under oath, if we are to be a local church, we must open the word of God 
for all to see, for all to interact, for all to be changed. Clearly instruct the saints. Guard against that confusion. Guard against that division. Clearly instruct the saints. And then finally, regarding our participation in kingdom expansion, finally, rely on God's grace through Christ. Now, this is not a command from the text. It is a benediction. It is a benediction. But we, believers, as the local church, must constantly be looking to that grace that is found in Jesus. This statement is not a formality. It's just the greatest blessing and benediction that could be stated. We're saved by grace. We're sanctified by grace. We're dependent on grace every second of every day. And this grace... This grace is available to us in Jesus Christ. It was unleashed upon us on that hill at the cross where the fountain of grace on full display breathed his last and died. He paid our debt. He covered our sin. He brought us to life by his flow of blood. Rising on the third day, he then proved that his sacrifice was accepted by God and our justification was certainly coming. Today, we believe we are justified and it's all grace. It's all grace. There's no better way to end, in my opinion, a letter than by that reminder of the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. As we conclude, church, we have these matters before us. So let's live in the anticipation of our being made completely holy inside and out. On that great day when Christ comes again, let's maintain active participation in the kingdom that allows us to reflect the kingdom visibly, tangibly in our midst. And I will add today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are hearing that call. He he points them to that call. You are hearing that call. The call of God to repent and believe on Jesus. And if you have doubts about the Christian life, I would tell you to give them to God. By coming to him in faith today, you'll learn for yourself that he is faithful and he will complete the work that he has started in us. Come to him, that grace, that grace, unbeliever, that grace is available for you today. Stop trusting in your works. Stop trusting in those little hints of what you think are just really good things that God should look at and accept you on that basis. No. The Bible tells us we are broken. Our supposed righteousness is filthy rags before him. Plead upon that grace that is in Christ for that salvation, repenting and believing this morning unbeliever.
Let's respond. Let's respond in these moments after we pray. The theme again, God's faithfulness ensures the church's transformation and enables its kingdom work. Pray with me. Father, we plead. We plead now for grace that would move us, that would bring us to a a good and proper response to your word. We know that grace is freely flowing, abundant in Christ, our substitute sacrifice, our Savior. We pray, Father, this morning that as we respond to your word, you would be glorified, that we would be changed, that Christ would be exalted, the Holy Spirit would be free to do as he wills in us. Father, help us in our response here and now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.